And as we think about this incredible, incredible portion of Scripture in Psalm 18, I want us to very carefully tonight follow, or this morning, uh, I keep saying tonight, still this morning, uh, I want us to very carefully this morning uh, look at Scripture, and I want us to see as the Holy Spirit taught my heart, and I pray it'll be an encouragement to you. As I studied this psalm, an incredible, incredible reasons David gives us here through the inspiration of the Spirit of God to teach us to give thanks. Let's begin. Psalms chapter 18, verse number 46. We'll read to the end of the chapter, uh, or the end of the song. Psalm chapter 18, verse number 50. Let's begin in verse number 46. The Bible says, The Lord liveth, and blessed be my rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. It is God that avengeth me, and subdueth the people under me. He delivereth me from mine enemies. Yea, thou liftest me up above those that rise up against me. Thou hast delivered me from the violent man. Therefore will I give thanks unto thee. O Lord, among the heathen, and sing praises unto thy name. Great deliverance giveth he to his king, and showeth mercy to his anointed, to David, and to his seed forevermore. Father, I want to thank you for this portion of Scripture. God, I thank you for Psalms, 1, Psalms 18. I thank you for how you have led and guided our hearts as we think about this incredible portion of Scripture. And God, I pray that as we meditate, study, learn, and grow in the Word of God this morning, I pray that you would teach us. Help us, please. Holy Spirit of God, help our hearts to be warmed in the will of God as we see reason to give thanks. Therefore, will I give thanks unto thee, O Lord. Help me this morning. Help us this morning to give thanks on this harvest service. In Jesus' name, amen. As we begin in Psalms 18, this is a song, and we'll see that here in just a moment. I want us to look at, before we even get to verse number one, if you will go back to the beginning, if you see Psalm 18, and many, many Bibles have this, yours may or may not have this, but I want us to look at the beginning, the introduction, if we can put it this way, as God has preserved this to help us to see the setting by which Psalms 18 is written. As we look at this portion of, uh, of context, how important it is to help our minds and our hearts see the heart in whom the writer has expressed through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit his heart to the Lord. Notice the Bible says, to the chief musician. Often we say that the book of Psalms is a book of songs or poems or spiritual songs. And that's exactly what it is. It is a book of wonderful songs that the Jewish people would sing. Oh, how wonderful it is to sing scripture. I love singing scripture. Often we sing scripture here. It is so powerful to sing the word of God. The word of God here in Psalms 18 was meant to be song, uh, sung. 
I don't know how the lyrics went, but I do know that they, or excuse me, uh, the music or the instrumental went with this, but I do know the lyrics. I do know the words. I do know what God has preserved. And what a wonderful thing it is to think about singing the word of God. We will do that one day. We will sing the word of God together in heaven. And oh, what a wonderful thing that will be. The Bible says this was written to the chief musician. Notice it says, a psalm of David. The Bible says not only is this a song, but it's a song that David, a man after God's own heart, was used by the Holy Spirit to write or to pen these words. God used him as an instrument, as a tool to write this song that would be sung. Notice how David writes this. David here is writing this, we'll see in just a moment, in the office of king. His throne has been established, his kingdom has been established, and he has perceived it as such. And we'll, hear, and we'll see more about that in just a moment. But as a king, he is being used by God to write this psalm. But notice how he writes this. Notice his heart. He doesn't come as the king. He comes as what? The servant. The servant of the Lord. He doesn't come saying, look, I'm better than anyone else, or I'm a greater part of the family of God than anyone else. No, he says, I'm a servant. I serve the Lord God just like anyone else. I have the privilege of serving Christ my friends, what a great heart David had. There is reason in which he had a heart after God's own because his heart was to serve, his heart was to follow the Lord. He did not think himself higher or greater than anyone. He was a willing servant that wanted to praise God. And what a wonderful heart and what a humble man, the man that fought for the Lord as a servant of God. David, now king, singing and writing this song as a servant of God. Notice when, now, this was to be given. The Bible says, a servant of the Lord who spake unto the Lord. I love that thought. David spoke of the Lord. Why is that important? That word Lord there is the Hebrew word Yahweh. It's the same words that we find when Moses was approaching that burning fiery bush in the wilderness. A bush that was not being consumed and we know the story of how he approached that burning fiery bush. And as he approached that bush, the Bible tells us God spoke to him out of that bush, out of that fire. And he said, Moses, take off your, uh, take off your shoes for the place in which you stand is holy ground. Moses did so and he began a correlation. He began a conversation with the Lord himself speaking out of that fiery bush. And as he tells of his plans to use Moses to deliver the people from the, peop uh, from the Egyptians and deliver them from slavery, the Bible teaches us that when Moses says, but who shall I tell is going to lead them? Who shall I tell is going to deliver them from bondage and take them out of Egypt? God tells Moses, tell them, I am that I am. It's the same word, Yahweh. 
He said, all that you need, all that you want, all that you desire, I am is the one that is going to deliver. I am is the one that's going to bring you out of Egypt. I am is the one that's going to bring you across the Red Sea. The I am is going to bring you through the wilderness. The I am is going to lead you into the promised land. The I am is going to meet your needs because I am that I am. What a powerful statement. And David recognized that God was his God. He was the same deliverer that delivered the people out of Israel. He was the same one who led the children of Israel and the Lord Yahweh was his God and he was singing to the unchangeable God to the God who was the same the God the same God who delivered Moses and all the Israelites into the promised land now he as a king standing in the promised land says that same Yahweh that same I am that same Lord he is with me today he is the one that I am following today he is the Lord that has has not changed and he recognized the deliverance of the Lord was from the same Yahweh from the same I am that I am what a powerful God in which David recognized he served and my friends a powerful God in which if you're a child of God you get to serve today what a God we have and what a wonderful thing it is that we get to follow and serve our great God Moses knew the I am. David knew the I am. And as he speaks, the Bible says, he spake unto the Lord, Yahweh, the words of this song, the day that the Lord, same word, Yahweh, delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So David is writing as a servant His kingdom has been established. He's writing as a servant to the Lord, a song to sing. And as he's writing, the Bible tells us now the context of when this is taking place. We said a moment ago that his throne was established, and this is true. You say David's father-in-law, Saul, the former king of Israel, had chased David's life. Saul hunted David all over the hills and mountains of Israel. He set trap after trap, trying to catch David, but the Lord kept delivering David from Saul's hand. That word hand that is given in introduction there, the hand of, the Saul, the hand of Saul, does not speak of a hand like you and I think of a hand but it actually speaks of a claw, specifically a paw-like claw, like a bear claw. David said, God has delivered me from the bear claw of Saul, from the claw or the paw that wanted to do me hurt and harm, to mutilate me and to destroy my life. God's delivered me from that. He's preserved me. He's kept me. You see, Yahweh, the Lord, had protected David from Saul. Those who allied with Saul to even help hunt David were now gone and or silenced. David's enemies were now under his footstool. 
And God had given him complete deliverance from Saul. There was no more threat from Saul or his family. God had done away with them. God had removed them from influence. God had removed them from harming David. His enemies now were quiet around him. And the Bible tells us this, that David perceived in his heart that God had established his kingdom. And at that moment, and at that time frame, is when David began under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to pen these words. It's with this very moment in which he began to write this personal and yet very prophetic psalm. Verse number one tells us the very heart of David as all has been established. Don't miss this, please. Oh, how precious this is. David writes, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. That word love is a different word than what we would find in other portions of Scripture. This word love here is a word of meaning yearning over. And with that yearning over, it carries the thought of fondling. What does that mean? David yearned to embrace the Lord. He yearned to hug the Lord. That's what it really means. He says, I will love thee. I will hunt to hug you, God. He says, God, you've been so good to me. God, I would give anything just to put my arms around you and to feel the embrace and to hold you and to know that you are my strength. You, Yahweh, have been my deliverer. God, you've been so good to me. I want to just simply embrace you and let you know my heart yearns to love on you. Oh, how tender and how compassionate this home is. It begins with a very heartfelt expression of wanting to physically embrace God and thank Him for what He has done. Our last meeting that we had, my family and I had on deputation as we raised funds to come here, when we were finally done and when we were finally ready to go home and to enjoy, yea, just that time, I remember my wife and I just wanted to just embrace, just hug one another, just thank God all the many miles in which we traveled, all the many wonderful people God enabled us to meet. And that very moment in which it was all done, it was just a moment of, oh, let's just celebrate and just embrace. My friends, there's something special about seeing the deliverance of what God gives and just wanting to embrace and just wanting to rejoice together. That's the heart of David here. He says, oh God, I just want to tell you, you are my Lord. As we look at this psalm, I wish we had time to look at all of it. We, don't forsake, uh, don't, we, do, we do not forsake of time this morning. But if you were to go home or after the service this morning, you're probably at home. But after the service this morning, if you were to study it out, if you look at verses number 1 through 19, you'll see the rejected prophet. 
prophesying again of Christ. This is a psalm that's very personal and very dear, looking at Christ, the future Son of God, that was going to come by way of a virgin birth. That he, as the prophet, would be rejected. He would be despised, of course, crucified, buried, but he would not stay in the grave, for he would rise again. And David was prophesying about the rejection of the prophet, the Son of God, who would die for our sins. He then, in verse number 20 through 31, begins to look at the priesthood of Christ. He is our priest. Not only is he the prophet, the one who prophesied of what he would do, and truly he has done that, and we look back now as him as Savior because of he is fulfilling of the prophecy. But he is also our priest. Oh, what a wonderful thing that is. What a wonderful thing it is that God is our priest. Jesus Christ is the one that leads and shapes. He's the one that we can go to and we can trust. He's the royal priest. And then we come to verses number 32 through 50. And we see the returning potentate. The one who is coming to be king. This morning, as we think about verse number 46 through 50, we're going to be thinking about the returning potentate, the returning king. May I give a little bit of background to the kingship of Christ? There is nothing left on this earth, prophetically speaking, that's preventing the rapture. The rapture is the next very moment, the very next thing in time. What is the rapture? The rapture is the catching away of believers, all saved. Those who have died, they will be resurrected. They will be caught up with the Lord. And those who are living today will be caught up with the Lord. The Bible says it will happen in an instant and oh. The Bible tells us to pray, even so come now, Lord Jesus. I don't know about you, but I long to see the Lord Jesus Christ. I long to see him. Oh, what a wonderful thing it would be for him to come at this very moment. Oh, would it, would it be a wonderful thing before I'm even done preaching this morning that God would come and catch us away and we would be forever with the Lord. That can happen at any moment. We don't know when that's going to happen, but I guarantee you it's closer today than it was yesterday. We're nearing the rapture. We're nearing that time in which Jesus is going to catch us away. We're going to meet him in the air and we will forever be with the Lord. Upon the beginning of the rapture is a period of, uh, is a period of, 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 of time called the tribulation. It'll be seven years long. It'll be a tumultuous time, a very troubled time, a time full of difficulties and burdens, struggles, it will not be a pleasant time on earth. The Bible teaches us that at a period of this, in this tribulation, that men will want to die, but God will remove that ability from them. They will want to die and try to even end their own lives, and they will not be able to die. That is how difficult and troublesome that time will be. We are not in the tribulation. <laughs> At the end of the tribulation period, there will be a battle. 
the Antichrist and Satan will form an army, a great army, that will meet together and there will be a great battle called the Battle of Armageddon. And I believe as we look at the context of Scripture that we are seeing prophetically David look at this battle and seeing the battle beginning to quiet. The battle ending. And as the battle is ending, there's a new king. There's a victor. That victor is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And upon this stage of a battle that is ending and a kingship that is established and being established, I believe we see verse number 46. Could you envision, if you would please, what the Bible teaches us in this first phrase? The Lord liveth. We could stop right there. And we would have heard all that we need to hear this morning. The Lord liveth. What a powerful statement. Think about this. The battle is ending. The stillness and calm of swords, of weapons, is silencing. The dust of the battle is beginning to settle. This battle was horrendous, gruesome in every way. This world has never seen a battle that'll be like quite like the battle of Armageddon. The Bible tells us the blood will be up to the horse's bridle. Many lives are lost in that battle. And as the enemy ceases to move and the dust settles and the silence emanates instead of battle sounds suddenly through that dust through that scene is a lone victor the victor is no man the victor isn't Satan himself The victor is the Lord. He lives. He's fought. Oh yes, Satan threw his very best at him at the cross, but he was defeated. He's going to do his very best with a great host of army to fight against the Lord, but there is one thing that is assured this morning, that as we look prophetically, there is a Lord that is going to live. Nothing this earth can do, no matter the weapon formed against God, it will not prosper. No matter how strong the bullet, no matter how strong the sword, no matter how strong the bomb, no matter how strong the things in which man puts together to fight against the Lord, None of that will prosper and God himself, Jesus Christ, will be the victor. What a powerful thing that is. The Lord liveth. No weapon could prosper. The strongest man, the strongest warrior could not defeat Christ. The strongest weapon had no consequence against the Lord. He alone is the victor. He is the one that truly stands when no one else can stand. 
My friends, I don't know about you, but that gives me hope. That gives me confidence. That gives me revelation as I think of Malachi chapter 3. I love what the Bible tells us in verse number 6. For I am the Lord, I change not. I don't know about you, but that excites me this morning. God does not change. My friends, if, no ba- if nothing against the Lord will prosper in the battle of Armageddon, it, when I am on the Lord's side, no weapon formed against me is too strong for the Lord to handle. The Lord liveth, and that will continue to be the same. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. He's the unchangeable God. He doesn't change when this world changes. He doesn't change when circumstances change he doesn't change when laws change he doesn't change when difficulties come he does not change he is forever because the lord liveth and what a powerful statement that is no problem is too big for the lord because he lives no difficulty is too much for the Lord because he, is, because he lives no struggle is too great for the lord why because the lord liveth And he can be thanked as the living God. The Bible continues in verse number 46. And blessed be my rock. David found a rock that anchored his heart, soul, and mind. He knew the Lord would live. He knew the Lord would will be that victor. And as he looks at the Lord as the victor, he said, he's the one that I anchor to. He is the one that I hold to. He is the one that I make everything in my life about. He is the one that captures my heart, my soul, and mind. He is the one that helps me to be immovable and unmovable in the word of God. For his strength and his protection and his stability is that great rock that cannot be moved. Paul said it this way, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, movable always abounding in the work of the lord for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain of the lord the bible tells us that when we follow him and when we serve him and he is our rock that we can be steadfast we can continue going We can be unmovable, unmovable from the word of God, unmovable from our anchor of the rock, unmovable from that in which we hold to and rely upon and trust with uh, with unending and unwavering faith. He is the one that as we abound in the work of the Lord, as we serve him and follow him, we know God is not going to make our our labor uh, uh, in vain. We know that our labor is not going to be fruitless. It's not going to be empty. Everything that's done in the Lord, God does bless and prosper. What a powerful thing it is that when we follow the Lord and we trust Him, He helps us to be steadfast. He helps us to enjoy that wonderful relationship with Him and grow in that. And we become established in a greater way. And our hearts and our minds begin to grow from that. And God empowers that and enables that and blesses that. No matter the circumstance, 
God tells us we can be immovable. Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse number 18, and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Thank God for that thought. There's no rock that is stronger than the Lord. There is no gate that hell can put up that is too strong for that rock. There is nothing that Satan can do that is too strong for him. He is the rock that I can anchor to. He is the rock that I can hold to. He is the rock that I can trust. My friends, I can't trust the world. I can't trust what Satan has put up around to try to deceive me, to put some false trust in or to put some faith in. I guarantee you that government's going to fail you. I guarantee you that uh, uh, your brother or sister is going to fail you. I guarantee you that your parents are going to fail you. I guarantee you that your pastor is going to fail you. I guarantee you that the church member is going to fail you. But there is one in which we can hold to that will never fail, that will never fall. And his name is Jesus Christ. We can trust him this morning. He is that rock. He is the one in which we can hold to. He is the one that we can anchor our life to because he is immovable. And we can abound in the work of the Lord. Why? Because we know that that labor is not going to be in vain with our rock firmly anchoring our heart and soul to. Anchor to the Lord this morning. I don't know about you, but aren't you tired of being tossed around this, this world this year? It's exposed really this year of where our hearts are tied to. If your heart is tied to a man, if your heart is tied to an agenda, if your heart is tied to the schedules, you've had difficulties. But if your heart is tied to the Lord, He makes every right. He makes everything okay. He gives us the strength. He gives us what we need to go through life. Trust Him this morning. Anchor your heart and soul to the Lord. There's no, greater, there's no greater rock. He is unmovable. Notice back in Psalm 18, verse number 46 once again. The Bible says, And let the God of my salvation. David was a man after God's own heart, but he needed a Savior. He needed salvation. He was not perfect. Read the testimony of David. He was a murderer. He was a man who disobeyed Scripture and had multiple wives. He was a liar. He even put himself in the place of God while, in king, while being king. And yet, God blessed his heart because he confessed and forsake, forsook those sins. He had a heart that continually wanted to follow the Lord because he recognized that he was a sinner. That he needed a Savior. And only the Lord could be his salvation. Because only the blood of Christ can wash away the sins of mankind. Only the blood of Christ. Nothing else works. Only 
the blood of Christ. About a couple years ago, I think it was, my wife got me a coffee maker, a ninja coffee maker. I love coffee. It's one of those in which you can make a carafe or you can make uh, one cup. And I'll, I use that frequently, and especially this, time, th- this year, I'm about wore it out. But over these last, I don't know, almost nine months or longer, there's been a light that we could not get off. It was continually on, on that coffee maker, and it was the clean. It kept saying to clean it, and we kept trying to use some things. The manual said you can use a descaler, or you can use some white vinegar. So my wife kept using the white vinegar, and we kept trying that white vinegar, and we ran it through and through and through and through again. No matter how many times we ran through it, it continued to stay on. That light continued to sense that there was some contamination in there and that it was not fully clean, even though we had tried to clean it so many times and ran the process who knows how many times. And so the other day, we got to talking about it, and my wife mentioned the descaler, and I said, I'm going to look for that. So I looked for this descaler. I found it came, uh, we, we bought it, and it came that evening, and we poured it in, and we ran the cycle, and suddenly, guess what? As soon as we ran that descaler, as soon as it finished, that light that was on for months and months and months went off. It recognized that it was clean. That descaler had done the work that it was supposed to do. Maybe you're, like, maybe you're like so many in this world who have tried so many things to descale the sin in your heart. You've tried a baptism. You've tried some Eucharist. You've tried even a church. You've tried being good. You've tried having a good heart or a good mind or a upbeat positive attitude and you've tried all these things and none of those things are taking that clean indicator off of your heart my friends there is one thing that will work and that one thing is this the blood of jesus christ that's why he went on the cross and died for our sins and was willing for his blood to be shed for us because that is the only thing that can clean our hearts, wash us white as snow. My friends, you can trust in the cleaning power of Jesus Christ. David said, I can't trust the temple. I can't trust what others might say. I can't trust being good, but I can trust the Lord and his salvation to give me hope for eternal life, to have that relationship with God, to enjoy being a child of His. I can only do so through Christ, Jesus. And David put his faith and trust in the Lord. He had to look forward to Jesus Christ. We look back and see the resurrected Savior. David looked forward to the resurrected Savior. He looked to God and God alone for salvation. Notice what he says. And let the God of my salvation be exalted. What does David do? 
he exalts the God of his salvation. What does that word exalt there mean? It means to lift up. It means to extol or to praise. It means to put up above all else. So many things in this world are extolled or exalted. Maybe an agenda. Maybe a person. Look at how that person can play football. Look at how they can score goals. Look at that one that can keep the goal so well. Look at that individual who can speak with seemingly a golden tongue. Look at that individual who seems to be a Mother Teresa. And on and on we can go. There's so many things that are extolled this morning. And David says, I'm not going to extol anything that I see around. He said, for there's one that needs to be exalted. There's one that needs to be lifted up. And I'm going to lift up the God of my salvation. There's no greater one to lift up this morning than the God of your salvation. If you're not saved this morning, why don't you become a child of God by believing in Jesus Christ and exalt Him, lift Him up above all things, above how much money you want or have, about whatever job or career you're in, about whatever person you're for, would you put Jesus Christ above them all? For he is worthy to be exalted. David found a great joy in exalting Jesus. Quickly, look at verse number 47. It is God that avengeth me and subdueth the people under me. He delivereth me from mine enemies. Yea, thou liftest me up above those that rise up against me. God exalt, or David exalts the living God. He exalts the rock, the God of his salvation. And now he is praising and giving thanks for what? For his God that delivers perfect justice. That's a key word in our society at this moment, is it not? Justice. We want justice for this. We want justice for that. However, we don't like the word that comes often with justice. Actually, it comes every time with justice. And that is judgment. You cannot have justice without judgment, and you cannot have judgment without justice. They are both sisters. They are both connected. It's impossible to have one without the other. And yet we want, and, we are, and so many are crying for justice today, and yet judgment is a part of that. David knew that God dealt perfect justice and perfect judgment. When we feel like an injustice has been done in our hearts and lives, when we feel like something has wronged us, it moves us. Does it not? 
We see great rallies and protests against some injustice. And yet, what about the rallies for the judgment? What about those who are saying, I like the judgment that justice has dealt? We look at it and say, well, that may not be fair. God does always give perfect justice. We might look at it and say, that doesn't seem right. But this is a thing in which David looked past and said, the justice that may or may not have been done on this earth is not perfect. But there is one that will deal perfect justice. He's my father. He's my Lord. He will deal perfect justice. It might look unjust at the moment, but let God's promise be true that perfect justice will be done. Perfect judgment will be given. Perfect in every way. God is the righteous judge. He shows justice and he gives perfect judgment. God one day will make every wrong right. Every wrong right. Every wrong right. God will make it all perfect. He will restore everything. God will deal perfect justice and give perfect judgment. You can trust the Lord. David said, I've seen some justice that you've dealt, God. It's been good. But I look to as you're setting up your kingdom and as you begin ruling and reigning on this earth for a thousand years. And he says, as I look at that kingdom, I will see, and I see, you dealing perfect justice. It will be made right. Then notice the end of that verse number 48. Thou hast delivered me from the violent man. That word violent man literally means the man of violence. It means a man that is all about hurting others. I believe we can very much argue that this is not that this is speaking of the one in which Jesus himself spoke of in John 8. In John 8, 44, Jesus said, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. At the end of Armageddon, at the battle of Armageddon, Satan himself, Lucifer the devil, will be bound He will be thrown into the place called hell for a thousand years. He will be cast there, tormented with others. God will then release him 
defeat him one final time, and he will be destroyed in eternity in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. The Lord truly is the one that defeats all. He is the one that will defeat Satan. He will make every wrong right through his perfect justice for all of eternity. And then we come to verse number 49, and I'm hastening this morning. The Bible says, Therefore will I give thanks unto thee, O Lord. David said, Because of who you are, Christ, because you are the prophet, because you are the priest, because you are the king, because you are the one that I can look to as the one that lives, the one that is the rock, the God of my salvation, the one that deals perfect justice and defeats that violent man because of who you are and because of what you have done for my eternal salvation and for my eternal relationship with you. Because of this, David boldly declares, I will give thanks unto thee, O Lord. He says, I'm going to give you praise. I'm going to give you a, 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 re, a rejoicing among those around. And here's why, going back to the context of prophecy, we can see a powerful statement here. Notice he says, among the heathen. Not every person on this earth is going to be in the battle of Armageddon when Jesus comes to set up his millennial rule and reign here on this earth. Not everyone's going to be there and there will be a some on this earth that will not be saved. And there will be some, how sad it is, that will watch Jesus Christ see his perfect kingship and still reject Christ. And David said, among those who are heathen, we look at that word and so often we think of those who uh, are cannibalistic or the remote tribes, those who have what the world would consider baser instincts. And David said, that's not what I'm speaking of. That word heathen there literally means to be a, those of a different nation, to be those of a different people. And he says, I know I'm in the nation of the Lord. I know my God is my Father. He is mine. I am His. He said, I, knew, I know exactly where I belong. I know exactly who I belong to. And those, as we rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years, Jesus said, or David said, I'm going to extol, I'm going to exalt, I'm going to praise and give thanks uh, unto the Lord among those who do not believe in you, even though you are ruling and reign here on this earth. He said, I'm going to give praise. I'm going to give, they're going to know that I thank you, Lord. They're going, to, they're going to know that I am rejoicing in you. And my friends, he could do so because he had established a pattern in which, yea, he had done so already. He knew that God was going to give him a new body, that God was going to remove that nature of sin, and that, that, and that he was going to have a heart that was going to be even greater in love with the Lord. And he knew that during that time which he was ruling and reigning, 
reign of Christ, that he would continue giving thanks unto the Lord for who he is, for what he has done, and praising God. We ought to start that right now. To give thanks to the Lord. To give thanks for who he is for being the Lord that lives, for being the rock, the God of our salvation, the one that will make every wrong right, the one that will defeat Satan himself. He is the one that we can give thanks to and we ought to begin doing so. We ought not to wait until the millennial rule and reign of Christ for our voices to be to uh, to become soul winners or soul warners telling people the gospel of jesus christ we ought to do so right now why because we have reason to give thanks we have reason to rejoice in the god of the harvest god has been merciful to us he has been mercy he has delivered us and we ought to give thanks and praise god for who he is oh i can only envision as we look at psalms 18 David singing and praising God in this very musical psalm. Could you envision it with me? The battle is over. God's kingdom has been established. And David is rejoicing and singing. I want to get up there and I want to sing right next to David. And I'll be able to do that because I won't be kicked out of the choir of heaven. Amen? My voice right now kicks me out of the choir. It kick, mutes the microphones. It breaks microphones. It lowers the flags in heaven to half-mast. It does terrible things. But when I get to heaven, God's going to give me a new body. And I pray that he gives me one with a good voice. It will be. It'll be a perfect body. And I can't wait to sing harmony with David. And I can't wait to rejoice and to sing with him. One day I'll be able to do that. And I thank God for that wonderful moment in which we together will be able to give praise and thanks for our wonderful God because he is worthy to be thanked we have reason this morning to give thanks David did not wait for the millennial rule and reign to give thanks to rejoice to praise God he gave thanks because of who his God is rejoice in the Lord this morning in everything give thanks if our heart had this concept it would be a eye-opening moments to us how many opportunities god would give us to present the gospel to people If we gave thanks and told people how wonderful God has been to us and how much our relationship with Him means to our heart like David did, it would open up opportunities to teach people the gospel of Christ more than what you know. Give thanks to the Lord. Allow God to use a heart that is thankful to open the door to tell others the gospel of Christ. Give thanks. Let others know how wonderful and powerful God is. In the 1800s, there was a man named George Mueller, a great man of prayer. 
He operated in an an orphanage that at one time had over 1,000 orphans in it. All of their needs were met through prayer. He never asked for one pence. He never requested one pound. He went to the Lord about it all. And God provided in wonderful and miraculous ways. Literally millions of pounds was given to him and their ministry to feed orphans and to preach the gospel. The testimony of George Mueller is truly convicting and powerful. I was reminded, though, of one morning in which he gathered the orphans together and he sat them down for breakfast knowing full well that the cupboards were bare. There was literally nothing to give the orphans. No food, nothing at all. And as he sat down, the orphans, and as, uh, as they sat down and prepared to eat, George Mueller began to pray. And as he prayed, he asked for God's blessing upon the food in which they were about to enjoy, knowing full well that there was no food coming from their kitchen. As George Mueller prayed, there was a knock on the door. As they, knocked, as they answered the door, there was a baker standing before them. He looked and he said, Mr. Mueller, he says, God has led me to bake bread for the orphans. I've been up all night baking bread and I want to give it to the orphanage. I hope you can use it. And of course, a powerful answer to prayer. But God wasn't done with that. For as the bread was coming in and it was getting ready to be distributed to the orphans that were hungry and waiting for some food to eat for breakfast that morning, a milkman knocked on the door. He said that his milk truck had broken down in front of the orphanage. And he wanted to give the milk to the orphans before it went bad. God provided through the prayer of thanks for a man by faith who was willing to thank the Lord for that which he did not. God answered his prayer before he even prayed that prayer. God knows the needs of our heart. May we give thanks that He is the Lord that is alive and well. He is the Lord who is our rock. He is the Lord, our salvation. He is the Lord that will make every wrong right. He is the Lord that we can give thanks and praise to. May we this morning do exactly what David said he would. He said, I will give thanks 
unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen. And sing praises unto thy name. Great deliverance giveth he to his king, and showeth mercy to his anointed, to David, and to his seed forevermore. David said, you've been good to me. I'm coming to you as a servant. For I know I'm not going to be king in the millennial rule. I know that my son, the very son of God, will be king. What, prof- what prophecy, what power in that statement, what faith to be given in song. David understood that Jesus Christ, the son of David, would be his king. And he would have the privilege of serving in that kingdom. What a day that will be when Jesus is king. But until then, may we continually give thanks for our great God. He is worthy to be praised.